Hi, everyone, and welcome to Nella's Ten Trunk Podcast. I find myself doing another spontaneous podcast, like the recent one for the elephant, One Up, One Down, because, alas, we have lost another larger-than-life friend from the African landscape. Tony Fitzjohn will be familiar to any of you who are of the generation that grew up with Born Free. And if you are like me, that book and film about Elsa the Lion caused not a few tears. Tony was the guy working with George Adamson, rewilding lions in a remote part of northern Kenya. He's portrayed in another movie, To Walk with Lions, alongside his mentor George, as a hunk with no shirt. And that, indeed, was Tony, even at the almost age of 77. Tony passed away about a week ago. His next birthday was coming up in July. In case you don't know about Tony Fitzjohn, here are a few achievements. He had over 50 years of successful rehabilitation of animals into the wild. He established the first successful rhino sanctuary in Tanzania. He established a successful breeding program for the endangered African wild dog, including groundbreaking veterinary research into their immunity. He worked with wildlife authorities to gain national park status for two game reserves and worked closely with them in a supportive role to the management of those reserves. He helped in the construction of a new secondary school for 350 children, upgraded classrooms in 13 other local primary and 22 secondary schools. He constructed and equipped a new vocational training center that trains young adults in welding and metalwork, carpentry, masonry, electricity, car repairs and mechanics, farming and agriculture, and computer lessons, employment skills that also benefit villages. And he provided local communities with clean water and medical services. In 2006, Prince Charles awarded Tony with the prestigious OBE, Order of the British Empire, at Buckingham Palace for his outstanding work for the George Adamson Wildlife Preservation Trust. He was also awarded the Helen R. Ellenborgen Citizenship Award by the Prague Society for International Cooperation for International Public Service and Understanding and the England Zoological Society's Gold Medal for Outstanding Lifetime Achievement in the Field of Natural Science, Conservation, and the Environment, as well as the Order of the Golden Ark by Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, who was a co-founder of the World Wildlife Fund, for his services to wildlife in East Africa. Oh, and he was also bloody cheeky a lot of the time and never afraid to speak his mind. I used to try out my own views on conservation to see his reactions. Just a bunch of egomaniacs. Total BS. Oh, they're good. They know what they're doing. So this post is about Tony, about my friendship with Tony. Our friendship, I should say. Tony ended up spending most of the pandemic as our neighbor in his home on Lake Naivasha with his son. The rest of his family was in the UK, where his kids study and work, and where his fantastic wife was making sure all was well with them during that difficult lockdown time. As such, we got to spend a good amount of time with Tony, having tea, meals, and best of all, flying. He would zoom up our drive on his quad bike to see James and me, but mostly to see our Jack Russell named Puffin and feed him unlimited digestive biscuits. 
He called him Puffo, and frankly, they adored each other. James went up to Tony's yesterday to see if all is well at the house, and Puffin ran straight to his pantry, where there is still a supply of biscuits labeled for Puffin. Puffin looked around the house for Tony. Kind of heartbreaking for James. And yet, so appropriate that the animals are missing Tony as much as the people are. So Tony was back in Kenya, and the plan was to restore Cora National Park, where he and George lived way back when, returning lions to the wild. The plane Tony flew, a Cessna 206, with the call sign Delta Oscar Gulf, or DOG, was in the process of re-registering from a Tanzanian aircraft to a Kenyan one, so he didn't have a way to fly himself the two-plus-hour flight up to Cora. I volunteered to take him in my Cessna 185, Bravo Alpha Delta, or BAD. To get to Cora from here, you go around the Abadair Mountains at about 9,500 feet, then across the Laikipia Plateau, past Mount Kenya, to the Nyumbeni Mountains, and then down into the Tana River Basin and Cora National Park, where you're now flying at about 885 feet. So the altitude goes from way over 14,000 to 885, and the landscape and climate become dry and very hot. On our first trip, we had to turn around and find another way around the clouds just past Mount Kenya as we tried to get through the Numbeni Hills. After that, it's easy. Descend and fly along the Tana River, low enough for Tony to see the roads, airstrips, villages. He knows every inch of the terrain. Then he points out these huge rocks sticking up out of the flat landscape in the hazy distance. There's the camp. Fly in between the rocks and over the camp and they'll come pick us up at the airstrip. In the even further distance were other rocks jutting skyward from the land. That's where I had my leopard rehabilitation camp. I descended and flew low between the big rocks, a tailwind bumping us along with all that hot air. Tony pointed me to the dirt strip, quite hard to see actually, and we landed. Kampia Simba, Camp of Lions, was a five-minute drive away, and arriving there was like stepping back in time for me. Black and white photos of George and Tony and all the lions hang on the walls of the mess with dining tables and all the technology for solar and fridges and radios, etc., that Tony makes sure runs like clockwork. Everything is open to the air as it never gets cold and rarely rains here. There are small huts or bandas and a common loo and shower for all to share. Tony put us in the banda that was George Adamson's. That first trip was a sentimental walk down memory lane for me. As a child back in Mill Valley, California, I'd watched and watched Born Free. I would cry and cry when they release Elsa back into the wild. Visiting the camp where so much of this lion whispering took place, I was on my own journey, feeling those feelings again, reliving my childhood in a way. Tony was used to people feeling this way. He'd been a part of many who, like me, awoke to the incredible vulnerability of the African animals by way of a heartfelt story about the proudest of them all. When I told my sister about my strong reaction to being in this camp and seeing the lion's enclosures, left just as they were back then, with tire swings and shady patches to rest, she said, 
It's like that movie was our awakening to nature with a capital N. It might sound sappy, but I think Tony and George's work are what brought Africa into my world and created my great desire to see the wilderness here. That first trip to Cora, James and I pulled our cots out of George's banda and slept under the stars. Even the nights are hot and there are no bugs, so a sheet suffices and we didn't even need a mosquito net. Tony pulled his bed out too, as he did every single night. The lion enclosure was right there in front of me. The Southern Cross was bright overhead. It was one of those indelible moments in Africa. The next day, Tony showed us around. We walked down to see where George Adamson is buried with three of his favorite lions. We walked to the river, something Tony, George, and the lions did every day. Tony walks incredibly fast. I literally had to trot at times to keep up. That evening, we sat on the wide banks of sand at the bend of the river, looking out at the most stunning view. The river was full, so moving quickly. The red-orange sun was setting through the palm trees, and birds were everywhere. Tony told us the story of how he and George had lost Christian once. If you don't know who Christian the lion is, then search on YouTube and watch the long version. Or even better, read the book by John Rendell and Ace Bork, A Lion Called Christian, about how they bought a lion cub from Harrods, yes, the famous London department store, and raised him in their antique shop until, well, he grew up. A male lion cub turns into a male lion, after all, and that's not very compatible with antiques, or customers for that matter although they do say it boosted business quite a bit. I had seen the footage and read the book and asked Tony about the story. Tony, have you heard of Christian the Lion? It's this amazing story of a lion club purchased from Harrods by these two guys living in London who then sent him down to Kenya to be introduced to the wild. When they came to visit Christian in Kenya and he recognized them and bounced down the hill to give them a hug, it is the most incredible thing to see. On and on I went until Tony smiled and said, Yes, I know. I'm the one who rewilded him. He came to me when he was two, and I raised him. It takes lions a while to go back to the wild, and even when in camp, they're never not wild, as Tony's scars from being semi-eaten by one show. Christian was still dependent on George and Tony, and so when he didn't reappear, they were trying to find him before nightfall. So they were looking for him and, of course, didn't have cell phones to keep in comms with each other. Tony sat down on the river bend for a moment and called out for Christian, who came nonchalantly walking out of the bush and sat down with him. I'll post some of the photos of the two of them on Instagram after this podcast. And there we were on this gorgeous evening, sitting in that very spot, listening to a story about a man and a lion, about a man devoted to the conservation of Africa a man born wild, as his autobiography is titled. A man who deserved the photo we planned to take, but didn't, with our two planes side by side reading, Bad Dog. He would have loved that. A friend, a legend. Puffin and the rest of us will miss him, and we will keep the wind in our hair and the smile on our faces as we strut across the African landscape at full speed in his honor.
Thanks for listening to Nella's Tintrunk Podcast. Wishing you joyful adventures. Until next time.